when they are ashamed of themselves, what they're going to do is they're going to either hide pusillanimity, they're going to lack courage, and they're going to hide themselves like Adam and Eve did in the garden, or they're going to overcompensate foolheartedness, like shamelessness. They're going to they're gonna say, F the world. I'm going to continue to do all these things that everybody's saying are bad or whatever, and I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to publicize it. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to be evangelist for it. And so what that does is it robs men of being real men on both sides. This guy's become an aggressor, and he is an angry aggressor who's trying to conquer his shame by being shameless, foolheartedness, loud and proud. On the other hand, you got this guy who just wants to hide out because he's fearful of even injecting himself at all, because he's so ashamed of who he is that he's afraid of rejection. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are all so grateful that you've decided to join us today. Blessed to uh, speak to you here during Lent. We hope that you're having a blessed Lent, and uh, please keep us in your prayers. Um, I'm having a good Lent, so uh, that's good. <laughs> and we're moving forward. Who are we? I am uh, one of your co-hosts, John Heinen. We've also got Devin Schott and Sam Guzman all here coming at you from The Catholic Gentleman. We've been doing this now for um, almost three years. It's actually going to be three years in a couple weeks, so thanks all our, our diehard listeners and the people who, um, you know, keep supporting us through your prayers and in those who are supporting us financially. So today what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about uh, sin and shame and guilt and what's at stake. We have all had these experiences in life. Are, are there differences between them, between shame and guilt? Um, and then in our more extended edition, we're going to talk about how to overcome that shame. So every single week we come at you with this live public edition here, and then we come into an extended edition in Catholic Gentleman Plus. At Catholic Gentleman Plus, we also come out with monthly sessions. Next month we're coming out with a session on St. Joseph. And then we're going to come out with lessons on uh, sexual attraction and on charity. We've already done nine sessions. You can get all of those. In fact, uh, this week alone, Father Ambrose Christ of the Norbertines and I had a great conversation about spiritual warfare in the hearts of men. It was some incredible pearls that he was dropping, and I am so grateful that he decided to join us. So head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus. That's a great way of supporting us. It's at CatholicGentlemanPlus.com. Um, mothers and wives, we love hearing from you. We hear from you often. Don't hesitate to keep on sending us questions and thoughts. Uh, if you're looking to support, we have another open uh, support at catholicgentleman.com slash support for you since the content inside of Catholic Gentleman Plus is pretty much for men. And uh, we're speaking for men uh, just like we do on this podcast. But we thank everyone who's listening to us and joining us. So today's Topic came to us actually from a listener's question. So we are always open to those listeners' questions. You can send out yours to us at podcast at catholicgentleman.com. But this question, while we like to normally answer a question on the show, actually made way for a great episode. And uh, the problem as it was presented to us was as follows. I'm actually going to keep his name anonymous for reasons that you will understand after I read this question. And the question was, have you guys ever done a podcast for men on having a vasectomy without really thinking it through? What about things like sin, shame, reconciliation, and you know what's at stake? All the things we're going to talk about today. So this just got us thinking. It got us having conversations. I had a private conversation with Dev and another one with Sam, and we were just kind of dialoguing about, well, what could we do for this episode that's not just rooted 
strictly on uh, this uh, sin of, you know, having a vasectomy, but something that is maybe more all-encompassing about guilt and shame. And so that's what we've come up with. And so maybe this is you. Maybe you can find yourself being caught in... um, a sin that has lifelong effects, right? Now, all sins to some degree do, but I'm talking about things like contraception or, um, you know, maybe even an abortion. Maybe you assisted in an abortion before your conversion or before your faith life deepened. And it's something that you just can't let go of. We can also think of things like habitual sins that we just keep coming to and we just get more and more and more angry with ourselves, annoyed with ourselves, and and then honestly falling into despair in a certain degree of, of, of distress that goes beyond disillusionment, that goes beyond um, just a sadness for that particular sin. It's something that just keeps us down. And so, you know, I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to be, as we're going through this, talking of the Holy Spirit about, you know, what it is that's keeping you down and from keeping you from being the true man. And that's exactly what we want to talk about today. So, you know, we can easily associate ourselves with our sins. We can easily associate our our lives and our internal struggles with who we are as a person, who we are as God created us to be. And that can just continually downward spiral into all sorts of self-fulfilling prophecies and issues. So I'd love to chat with you briefly, Devin, or hear from you uh, a little bit about, you know, kind of um, when you hear this and you think about guilt and shame in the lives of men and what it's doing, how it's wreaking havoc in the lives of men, you know, what do you think is important for us to understand right from the beginning? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I think the personal experience is something along the lines that all of us, most of us have some kind of deep, dark secret that has plagued us or is plaguing us, or we've made a terrible mistake, or we've done something that either we can't forgive ourselves for, someone has done something to us where we've been abused. And perhaps we just can't get over it. It plagues us, it haunts us, and it's and it's cramping our life. It's it's actually keeping us from becoming who we're called to be. It's keeping us from experiencing the freedom of life and the joy of life. And so what began as a mistake or an unethical decision or a sinful or hurtful act, the guilt is there. Regardless if you're an atheist or not, you know, or if you're a believer or not, the conscience speaks. Now, that mm-hmm. guilt, if it's not dealt with properly, it can really devolve, in fact, somewhat rapidly into shame. And that shame can actually determine the trajectory of our life which can be very dysfunctional and it can be very painful. and can actually destroy our character. So I think that right off the bat, we have to talk about, in my opinion, guilt, what guilt is. Mm-hmm. And, and is there a good side to guilt? Is there a bad side to guilt? What, what, is, what is guilt there for? And then talk about shame. What is shame exactly? And what does it do to us? And how does it harm mm-hmm. us? Because in no sense is shame really actually good. And then- mm-hmm. To go move from there and talk about how guilt actually can devolve into shame and the devastational effects it has on our lives. That's where I would like to go with it. Yeah, I love that. And I appreciate you saying that um, uh, because it's really important to set the ground right there is that we're not mental health experts. I can tell you that, well, sorry, forgive me. Sam is a mental health expert, but we're not all, you know, researchers and scientists and, uh, and psychologists or individuals, but we do want to look at 
this issue of guilt and shame with the eyes of the church, with the eyes of the teachings of our faith, and understanding that sometimes you'll read in scripture about shame. Sometimes you'll hear church fathers talk about shamefulness and being ashamed. But at the same time, like in the Catholic uh, dictionary, shame is not a a defining term. Uh, But when you look uh, in the Catholic dictionary on guilt, sure enough, we've got we've got a a term there and it's not Catholic guilt. It literally is just guilt and and what that means. And I think that is so important uh, to break that up. And I I did. you, You you said something that got me thinking that how all consuming shame can be right now where it doesn't, it's just all consuming mentally, spiritually, but it can also affect your physical life. And I grabbed that quote from Psalms 44, where David, you know, kind of brought this up where he said, um, Thou hast made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. And so, you know, it is something that we all experience, men, and it's something we want to dive into. So, Sam, how does this idea of of guilt and shame correlate with uh, your practice and how individuals are coming to you and something that you have to see from a very unique perspective to help people work through? Yes. Um, well, it, shame and guilt, let's, it might be helpful to just give a very brief definition of the two in order to kind of set the stage for where we go next. But yeah. guilt is both guilt and shame are relational in nature. I think that's really important to point out is that they're both about relationships with others. Guilt, however, is I have done something wrong. I've done something to wrong someone else um, and, and I've you know maybe violated some commandment that has been handed on to me by someone else. There's, there's, there's different dimensions to it, but it's usually about I've offended, I've hurt, I've done something wrong to someone else. And there is a concern for the injured party along with a desire to repair the relationship to restore the relationship and so guilt in its healthiest sense is about moving towards reconciliation repair restoration of the relationship now guilt does have unhealthy aspects in the sense that sometimes we can feel guilty for things that actually aren't bad yeah Um, you know i've worked with clients before who feel guilty literally just for existing you know, perhaps mm-hmm. because of different factors like their parents were overwhelmed and they felt guilty for being a burden to their parents. And so they felt guilty for just being alive in a sense, you know, like, but that's mm-hmm. not a healthy guilt. That's not a guilt where you've actually done something wrong. Um, and so some of that is like res- adjusting the perception a bit so that you can see things mm-hmm. as they really are and be freed of that guilt because it it's actually not wrong for you to exist. It's, it's a wonderful thing, a blessing, a gift from God, the gift of existence. Um, so so d- guilt can take on disordered aspects, but in its healthiest form, it's about restoring, repairing damage when we know that we've hurt someone else. It's about what we've done. Now, shame, on the other hand, is about who we are. It's not that I've done something bad. It's that I I am bad. Um, It's a global assessment of value of yourself, that I am bad, I am unworthy, I am defective, I am fundamentally unlovable. Um, If people knew who I really was, they would want nothing to do with me, they would find me disgusting, repulsive, whatever. Um, And so again, guilt is very personal. 
It's about who we are rather than what we've done. Now, enough guilt enters the picture, as Devin was saying. It can very easily, like, if you feel guilty enough and, like, you feel like everything you've ever done is wrong in some way, like, that can very easily morph into toxic shame. Now, one of the first authors to really tackle guilt and shame as, like, a as a topic, um, John Bradshaw had some interesting things to say. He actually says there is, interestingly enough, a healthy version of shame, but it's actually much closer to humility in the sense that it's an awareness of our limitations, an awareness of our creatureliness, an awareness that we are finite. And those can all be very healthy things because they, they can open us to they can open us to mystery, to wonder, to curiosity. Like that it can actually be a healthy shame in the sense of awareness of that I am a creature can actually translate to a higher degree of spirituality. But toxic shame, on the other hand, destroys your relationship with others. And it destroys your relationship with God and actually can even destroy your relationship with yourself in the sense that you can shame yourself. You can hurt yourself in that way. Um, and so it's it, shame leads to disconnection. That's the that's where I'll leave it is that shame yeah. leads to disrupted, disconnected relationships and all kinds of pain can flow from that. Um, so. Excellent. Yeah, thank you, Sam. I appreciate that because what we're trying to say is that we feel there's a there's a feeling or an emotion that's associated with us doing a moral wrong when we do guilt, right? So when something is guilt, when we have sinned against another person, we should feel bad, especially with the formed conscience, and we'll talk about that. But I like how you immediately started talking about society today because we do get this non-sinful acts that people see as uh, with guilt. And I think that's really important to bring up on this show here because like, so I Googled it out of curiosity, what people think as is uh, guilt today. And some people were like, oh, not inviting certain groups of people to parties or events that I'm having because I didn't think they were going to fit a lo- fit in. And now I've been feeling guilty about that forever. Uh, or this idea of, you know, forgetting to buy somebody a present at Christmas time when they bought you one and now I feel really guilty. Well, these things aren't really guilt. They're more codependency, if you ask me, where your emotions are are somehow regulated or dictated by uh, the other person. But I really want to get into that correct understanding of guilt. I do also want to come back to uh, shame and and these different understandings of shame and kind of what we're talking about as well, because I've heard different uh, Catholic psychologists and everything take issue with um, Brene Brown, right? She's not, uh, I don't think she's Catholic. She might be, I actually have no clue what she is, but she had that famous (laughs) TED talk. She had that famous Uh, TED talk on, on guilt versus shame. And she kind of laid the groundwork very similar to what you were saying. And, um, some individuals have taken umbrage with her, uh, explanation, but I, I think for our talk, it's going to be really important is that guilt is faced towards the other. And as you say, stated, Sam, toxic shame is, is faced inward towards yourself more this, this, um, self-pity um, that that I hope to get to. So when we're talking about a correct form of guilt and a correct understanding of guilt, Devin, I wanted to hear, what do you think are some necessary contingencies for us understanding guilt rightly and being aware of it in our lives as men? Well, I think that, so good question. Guilt mm. is, I believe, Properly speaking, the goodness of guilt, if you want to talk about guilt as being good, mm-hmm. 
it's actually a gift of the, in a sense, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the conscience. And the reason we know that it's not us is because we can't control that voice. So let's say I mm-hmm. commit adultery or I've stolen, and then I'm continually barraged or assaulted by the thought that I've done wrong. And I can't let that go. If it was that, if that was me and I was saying, hey, I'm good with this, I'm good with this adultery, I'm good with this affair, that voice would not affect me. I would be able to shut it down and say, that's me, and I'm not going to think that way. But there's something external that's coming into my internal mind, okay, or in my soul, really, and it's convicting me. So guilt with a properly formed conscience, this is a conscience that's aware of right and wrong, good and evil. It can lead to a compassion, like Sam was saying, compassion for the person we've hurt restitution, making restitution to the person we've hurt, seeking forgiveness from the person we've hurt, repenting and changing our life, actually having a metanoia experience, which is, that's precisely what happened to me. It provides us the ability to see from the perspective of others, whoa, my actions, my life are crushing the people around me. And I just briefly, this just came to mind. I, I lived while I was in college across from apartment complex where they housed mentally, uh, severely mentally handicapped adults, but they could still kind of live on their own. And I had a night where I was taking all this laundry that I hadn't done for like the whole semester down three flights of stairs through windows out in the winter, 50 degree below packing my car with hefty bags, 14 hefty bags of clean of dirty clothes to take the laundromat in the middle of the night. So I could have access to all the washers and the dryers alone. Mm -hmm. And this guy, this mentally handicapped guy was staring at me through my window, through the windows of the three flights of stairs, into my car, out of my car, all 14 trips. So finally, I was so fed up with him watching me. I didn't know who he was or anything. Didn't know he had a you know, mental problem or anything like that. I put the last bag in the car, flipped him off, got in the car, went to the laundromat four months later. And I'm at this point, I've gone through a major breakup. I'm about ready to graduate college. I'm almost suicidal. I'm really struggling. It's a spring day. I walk outside and there he is. He's in his window and he's watching me. And I'm like, not him again. He's got mm. the window semi-cracked. And then he leans down when he sees me and says, hey, buddy, sorry about the other day. And I just was mm. floored because to him, the, what happened three and a half months ago in the middle of winter was the other day. Wow. And it haunted him. What my actions what I had done crushed that guy. And so I got in the car and this is where conscience steps in. At that moment, I was not believing. I had not surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, nothing, but a wave of remorse came over me. And I sat in the car before I started and thought, and I started thinking about all the people in my life that I'd been doing this to crushing them with my actions. And it was this moment in which there was, yes, almost like a sense of despair of what I'd become, but then there was lingering there also a sense of hope, a hope that I could change, a hope that I could change my behavior. I could make reparation. I could seek restitution. And I didn't know what that meant at that point, but that was a trigger that led me to another experience, which led me to my conversion. So the conscience has a heavy part to play and guilt is very good when it comes from God to convict us of where we're off so that we can respond in the positive to say, I need to change. That's where I think guilt is really actually very good. We see this in Psalm 51 where David wakes up to the reality of what he's done 
and how he's wounded others. And it moves him to repentance. There's a certain like pain there in the guilt and the awareness of what he's inflicted on others. But like pain doesn't always have to be bad in the sense that pain can be salutary if it moves you towards change. And so David mm-hmm. wakes up to this in Psalm 51, feels the pain of the guilt, of that pangs of conscience, right? But it moves him to repentance and restoration. And I think this is this is the healthiest form of guilt, is when we wake up to the fact that we've hurt others, we've damaged relationships, we've wounded others, and that awareness can be very painful. But it moves us towards restoration with God and restoration with our neighbor and in that sense, guilt can be a very beautiful thing, even if it's a very painful thing. Um, and it, so, yeah, guilt can be 100% a good thing if it moves us to repentance yeah. and restoration. Thanks so much for bringing that up. It is so such a good – you're just triggering me when I first heard in college – that guilt can be a good thing. It was with a priest there in college. And so I was in college and I remember him telling me, basically embrace the guilt because it'll make you a better person. But I actually really loved what you just stated, Sam. Those were some mic drop moments there that it moves you to repentance and therefore moves you to restoration and reparation and moves you to um, becoming a better version of yourself, a holier version of yourself. And I think that that was, that was so good. And that's where men, hopefully listening to this, you are being struck right now with the importance of guilt and that idea. And that's what I encourage you just to embrace the guilt when it comes and realize what it, the positive effects that can have in your life and act on those positive effects, especially if you're conscience is formed, you know, as I hope all of yours is. And I know by the fact that you're listening to this episode shows that you're trying to improve that, which is, uh, which is incredible. Devin, you were going to say something though. No, I, I just, I think that's important. I think that we can make the mistake though with guilt is where we identify ourselves with the sin. So, so if I've committed adultery, I can make the mistake of saying I'm an adulterer, or if I've made committed mm-hmm. the sin of thievery, or stole from somebody, I could say, I'm a thief. And that's where I think we, and we'll get to this in a minute, we have to be very careful because that's not guilt. That's actually not guilt. That's the accuser's voice. And that's where shame will step in. And so I think it's very, very important right off the bat that we mention this, that the fundamental point, I believe, is that the accuser wants to restrain us and restrict us by convincing us that we are our sin, that our sin defines us rather than sonship, because that's what guilt is. It's the three G's. Guilt is good because it leads you to God, you Mm. know? So if it doesn't lead you to God, then it's not good guilt. And then if it's not good guilt, then perhaps it's shame. So guilt is good if it leads you to God, into his embrace, trusting him, trusting that he he can mold you, he can change you, he can make you even better. But the devil though, on the other hand, he's the great accuser, who will try to define you by your sin. And that's where he wishes to restrict you and restrain you. Why? Because once you're defined by your sin, you, you will not want to inject yourself, properly speaking, your true self and your godly self into society. And that's, that's what he that's- wants. Yeah, so true. And I think this is a perfect time for us to shift and talk a little bit more about shame. Oh, go Sam. Yeah. 
I was just going to say, like, the litmus test to me between healthy guilt versus unhealthy guilt, is it leading to restored connection with God and others or disrupted connection with God and others? Because shame, one of the hallmarks of shame is it wants to hide, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Yes. Right? God hadn't said anything. God hadn't done anything. He hadn't condemned them. He hadn't judged them. He hadn't... But they were already hiding. So the, the question you can ask yourself is like, is this healthy guilt or is this unhealthy guilt? Is it moving you towards res restoration and restored relationships with others and with God? Or is it disrupting relationships with others and with God? And if it's disrupting that connection, it's unhealthy. If it's restoring that connection and repairing that connection, it's healthy. And, and then to me, that's, that's the litmus test. That's how you know. Yeah, wonderful. And I, I'm so glad that we were able to bring up the two because we can misproject and misunderstand guilt as well, right? That it's not always good. And as we go into shame here, which for our topic, we're really going to be talking about this toxic shame. And I like the fact that you gave it that label, Sam, mm -hmm. uh, because it is important for us to remember that even our best intentions or our best, you know, thoughts about guilt could still miss the mark, right? If they're not improving our life and the lives of others. And so I do want to take a moment now and I want to shift and talk about shame. As we've already discussed, it is a transgression towards others, but it's actually something that is, uh, you know, committed uh, by oneself, right? It's something that, that we focus on ourselves. We turn ourselves inward and we think ourselves less. We, we say things like, I am bad or I am miserable or I am a loser or, you know, things of those nature. You know, that's that inward shame. And really, unfortunately, when we talk about this sort of shame here, is that you're more concerned with how other people view you because of your sins than how your sins are affecting other people. And so that is a really important distinction right there. When we're talking about shame, I also want to take a moment here and divide up shame based off of sin versus shame based off of these moral norms. And I would even say moral norms, but these sort of, um, uh, what the, what the world teaches you, you should be doing. Uh, we call them like profit and pleasure and, you know, these pursuits here, because I, I've heard men say later in life, I'm ashamed that I never became a C-level executive, or I'm ashamed, or I, I experienced so much shame because, you know, I'm um, this size, or I did, you know, I did this. I'm trying to think of some examples outside of just didn't achieve some sort of status symbol in society that, that they wanted, right? Again, that's not going to be shame. That might be just a misguided understanding of your call in life, and, uh, and the fact that you were possibly pursuing something contrary to the will of God or something that in itself is not the man that God has created you to be. I hope that makes sense what I'm trying to say here, but there, there is this sort of a secular view of shame that just puts it on, um, you didn't accomplish whatever goal you didn't have this title, this car, this house, et cetera. And you feel like your life wasn't well lived because of that, right? There's a lot more, we got to get a lot more curious about the issues in our lives before we, um, label that as, as some sort of shame. Does that make sense? What I'm trying Absolutely. to get at? 
Yeah, I, the reason it makes sense is because what that person is doing or what we all do, <laughs> you know, what we yeah. do is we take whatever we find as the ideal and then we associate our identity with the ideal. So if I want to be mm. that high level executive or I want to have the you know million dollar house or whatever whatever is feeding me as far as that ideal and then I link my idea identity up with that ideal so much so that by not having it then I feel ashamed. That's where it becomes shame is because I'm associating too much that goal with me where that goal is not me. Mm. And this is the problem of our culture because we, we, we have all these ideals and many of them are false. You know, some of them are good. And if you untwist the lie, you can get to the goodness of the goal at the bottom of it. But the problem is, is that the culture likes to twist it up, twist up the goodness and redefine and malign it. But the deal is, is when we look at that goal as an ideal and it becomes a false idol, and then we see ourselves as that, mm. that's when shame enters, when we don't become that or we fall from that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you putting that sort of, um, categories or that sort of order to, to my thoughts there, because that's just, it is that your ideals have been misplaced possibly for many, many, many years. And when you fall short of those ideals, you experience some sort of shame. But what we're talking about is the ideals of, of being a good loving person who is created in the image and likeness of God. And then when we misstep that, the shame that can experience because of the voice of Satan guiding you into despair is, uh, is very different. And, and is something that I want to make sure that we spend time, uh, breaking up. So Sam, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about shame and how, what it, what the effects of, of just this, unforgiven or this unworked um, through shame can have in the lives of individuals. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, the, the, the stepping back a little bit. And again, shame is a value judgment about yourself, but it's a very visceral thing. When I ask people like mm. who are experiencing shame, like where do where does that shame live in your body? It's almost always your gut. There's like this like twisty, cringing, like awful embodied sensation of guilt or I mean of shame, I should say. Where And it's a very intuitive thing. Like, you know, a gut feeling when you talk about a gut feeling, it's a very intuitive thing. There's, there's not a, it's not a lot of logic to it or rationality to it. It's strictly a feeling, an experience. Um, and when it's important to acknowledge that because when a lot of people say, well, are you feeling shame right now? Their logical brain says, I don't even know what you're talking about. No, I'm not feeling shame. I'm fine because it's not a cognitive belief. Shame is often formed in our youngest years when our rational brain isn't even online yet. And so it's this, it's this gut feeling it's very, very unpleasant. They've done, they've done research on like negative emotions and there's like a hierarchy of negative emotions. You know, there's, there's milder ones, but all the way, but like shame is like one of the worst. It's like a 10 out of 10 emotion. And so what we do is we drive it underground. We bury it deep down and it hides very well. And like, so if you ask a lot of people point blank, are you feeling shame right now? Are you ashamed of yourself? Like they would say, no, I'm not. 
even though they might be loaded with shame because they've buried it so deep. It's such a painful emotion that they don't want to consciously experience it. And it goes underground, but it can still be affecting their life. Um, and, and again, there's reasons for this. Like, again, shame is a very, it's often a very young emotion in the sense that there were times when we felt bad as kids. Like, you know, again, mom and dad are stressed out. Maybe they're fighting or they're arguing. Kids think in very black and white terms, 100% good, 100% bad. And when you can't make sense of something as a child, something painful, which is very frequently <laughs> because your yeah. rational brain isn't online yet, right? You blame yourself. That's like the simplest thing. The simplest solution for a child is when something painful is happening to me and I can't make sense of it, it must be me. I must be bad. I must be bringing this on myself. It must be my fault. And again, these aren't rational beliefs. These are feelings at the mm. level of intuition. You just feel bad. And I've even like with medical trauma, even like if a kid has to undergo painful surgery or they're scared to death in the hospital or whatever, like they'll often blame themselves. I must be bad. I must be I must have brought this on myself because I'm unworthy in some way. But then fast forward like 20, 30, 40 years, that feeling is still there. And you can't shake it and you can't figure it out and you can't understand why you still feel this deep shame, this deep self-loathing, this deep self-rejection. Because it started so young. Now the kind of performance shame that Devin and John are talking about, where you failed at something, that's often yeah. an older form of shame in the sense that it's like our teenage self or maybe our middle school self where we started to experience things like bad grades or bullying or parents who got mad at us because we didn't measure up in some way. And then that kind of performance-based shame is not so much that visceral, very, very young shame. It's a much more of a, oh yeah, I actually have some evidence that I didn't measure up in some way. And again, that must be because I'm defective, not because I made a mistake, which we all make mistakes, but it's because there's something wrong with me. Like I'm defective. I'm flawed in the core of who I am. And again, that, that seeps into us and, and drives our behavior. Um, so I know I've talked for, for a minute here, but just a few brief signs of shame might be showing up in your life. One is consistent disconnection from others. If you feel guarded, if you can't connect, if you can't be close to people, you, you know, friendships, uh, opposite sex relationships, um, you feel closed off from God in prayer. If you're hiding in any way, like shame is probably present in your life. If you feel like you've got to be guarded, walls up, invulnerable, you're probably dealing with some shame in your life. Second, uh, a huge one is addictions. Because shame is, again, one of the worst emotions we can experience. If you're just flooded with shame, it's one of the most awful feelings. That feeling of humiliation, that feeling of being despised, rejected, and, you know, just it's an awful, awful feeling. And so we want to escape that as quickly as possible. So we turn to whatever will boost our mood as quickly as possible. That's going to be pornography. That can be gambling. That could be food. That could be alcohol or drugs, scrolling on your phone even. But like anything that will help you escape from that awful feeling as quickly as possible, you turn to. The terrible thing is that those behaviors 
are unhealthy and they they heap more shame on us. So they actually end up making the problem worse in the long term. Mm-hmm. But addictions, another huge sign of being shame bound. And then there's more, but the last one I'll mention is just shame around like feeling icky and bad about normal human behaviors. I'm happy. I'm joyful. There must be something wrong. I shouldn't feel <laughs> right. this way. I'm not worthy of right. feeling this way. Um, or, um, you know, like even a lot of people are loaded with shame even about their bodies, right? Like, oof, like I just don't even like being in a physical embodied being. Like uh, I just feel this this loathing about this physical organism that God's given me. Um but just like normal human interactions, like I just want to have fun. I want to go play sports with a friend. You know, I want to go out and have a good time uh, at the cigar bar or something like that. And immediately you just feel bad and icky and shameful about these very normal human be things. And so that, that those are some those are some a few signs to look for. Great. Oh, I'm sorry. Anger is another one. Anger is a huge one. Look out for anger. If anger is flaring all the time. Probably carrying a lot of shame, and the anger is trying to deflect that, redirect that. So, no, that's great. A uh, little mini lesson there on on shame from a psych- psychological perspective. I wanted to. I actually hadn't thought about this. Well, and and now I guess thanks to your speaking about it. But for children, right, and this sort of non-performance shame, but just kind of the shame that that they experience from. A young age or not living up or, or not being good enough. Uh, is it something that uh, children can learn? I'm just now thinking about how our shame can affect other people, right? So if they see mom and dad always self-deprecating themselves, if they see grandma and grandpa, you know, always, always, uh, <laughs> self-defeating and, 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 uh, you know, walking around with kind of a low self-esteem, you know, maybe they are, um, largely overweight or something along those lines and they comment on that all the time. Um, I imagine that a child who is before the age of reason who's experiencing this starts thinking that that's the way they should relate to difficulties in life, right? That they need to be more self-deprecating. They need to look inward and, 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 and you know, be against themselves. Um, you know, am, am I going in the right direction with this thought? Again, I never thought about how it could, you know, uh, affect other people. Yeah, definitely. And I think that as parents and friends, we have a huge responsibility to actually overcome and conquer shame. And I I think that's the importance or the point of this episode is that when men are bound in shame, that means that they are ashamed of either their emotional, psychological, physical, or maybe even a spiritual component of themselves. When they are ashamed of themselves, what they're going to do is they're going to either hide pusillanimity, they're going to lack courage and they're going to hide themselves like Adam and Eve did in the garden, or they're going to overcompensate foolheartedness, like shamelessness. They're going to, they're going to say F the world. I'm going to continue to do all these things that everybody's saying are bad or whatever. And I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to publicize it. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to be evangelist for it. And so what that does is it robs men of being real men on both sides. This guy's become an aggressor and he is an angry aggressor who's trying to conquer his shame by being shameless, foolheartedness, loud and proud. On the other hand, you got this guy who just wants to hide out because he's fearful of even injecting himself at all because he's so ashamed of who he is that he's afraid of rejection. 
And that's a big deal among our youth, our young men right now, is that there's this very large trend that guys will not ask young ladies out because they're so fearful of rejection. They are literally ashamed mm -hmm. of themselves. And so back to your point, I think like Sam, you had mentioned, you know, certain signs of shame, but I think also, and additionally, John, you touched on these, it's the, the low self-esteem. That's definitely a sign that you're living in a world of shame, right? And we don't want to shame people for feeling shameful. It's just, just yeah. look at the signs. Be so aware. That you can, That's so right. So that you can at least assess it and say, okay, I'm there. I've got to do something about this. So low self-esteem for sure. Self-deprecating cycles or self-defeating cycles. Like, oh, I just can't do that. I'm not good enough. Oh, I shouldn't go out to that party. They're going to reject me. They're going to hate me, whatever. Self-defeating cycles, big time. And then self-deprecation, overly critical of yourself constantly being harping on the negative about yourself. And then a big one though, that we don't think of is when we blame, you said this, is when we blame ourselves for what other people have done to us. So like I was abused as a, as a young child, right? And so then I must've best been a bad kid. I must've been yeah. unlovable. I must've been unworthy. And then that gets us into this scenario. And like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, have we ever said things like this? I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm pathetic. You know, God made a mistake mm -hmm. in making me, you know, I just want to disappear. You're there. So, so, so if we are there, which I can say I've been there, if we are there now, like we've got to realize we've got a problem, you know, so we've, we've got to deal with it. And I think this is where our culture saddens me. And it's just an observational theory. Maybe you guys can correct me on this. But the culture says this, the culture says, you can change your sex. You can kill the child in your womb. You can swing, you can marry same sex or, you know, or pets for that matter. You can castrate yourself and mutilate your own flesh and call the sex change. But the one thing that you can never do is feel guilt for any of it. Guilt to the culture is the most heinous sin, but everyone feels guilt unless you're a psychopath. So the conscience speaks and the conscious is God speaking to you, or at least in your conscience. But you, the culture says you can't do anything about that because to feel guilty is taboo. So you have nowhere to go with your guilt, but to bury it. The culture says mm -hmm. no God, no morality, no good and evil. Therefore, there's no guilt. But yet I feel this guilt. What am I supposed to do with it? I can't repent. And then that moves me into this shame cycle where I either go into pusillanimity, hiding, or shamelessness, boasting loud and proud, and just forcing my perversion on other people. Yeah, Devin, I think it's such a great point. This sort of layers of onions within society here, right? And what this causes us men to experience. I love that million dollar word pusillanimous. And I think that's a, a really good one, right? This small soulness, this sort of, yeah, cowardness that, that uh, we can experience. And I think you went right into it. And I'm glad that you did that guilt unresolved is going to fall into shame. And I think that that is uh, something I want to take a moment and I want to talk about that, right? Is that when we allow ourselves to constantly feel guilt without actively positively doing something to resolve or restore, as uh, Sam brought up, the matter, what do we do is we fall into, as Father Benedict Rochelle said, a series of pity parties or a series of uh, resentment reunions. Um, and so he used those two terms as, as a way that... 
that yeah. Satan will want to bring us down. He will want us to fester in that, these pity parties, these resentment reunions, and then just kind of live in that muck. And so we've got guilt, which is a good, which can be a very good, you know, in the positive. And then when we decide not to do something with it, or we decide to point inward, or we decide to just think of ourselves as something pathetic and something less, and then that just kind of gets us into this cycle, that's where Satan's got us. And that's where, frankly, uh, you never want to be because it's not going to be a great way forward. And I wanted to leave one little thing before we shift over to you, Sam. And that is, if you're an individual new to your faith, if you're in your 60s like this gentleman, I actually don't know how old he is, but he had a vasectomy in his past is what he said. And, you know, you 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 create you had a sin or you created and lived a lifestyle so contrary to the image of God that's built within you. You were created in love and out of love and in the image of God. And if you didn't understand that and you had this sin and now later in life, you've got this newness of faith, Satan wants you to fall into shame. He wants you to identify yourselves with the sins of your past so that that newness of faith, that image of God, that goodness that is truly built within each of us and is there at this very moment, regardless of your current state, you are still created in the image and likeness of God. God still loves you and loved you to an existence, and he loves you now, and he wants you to go to repentance. He wants you to bring that restorative uh, glory. Um, but if you're later in life and you're just new to this, that's exactly what Satan's going to do. That's exactly where he wants you to get trapped and he wants you to get bound into that shame and we have to deliver ourselves from that. So Sam, I wanna hear a little bit more of, of your thoughts on guilt resolving the shame and uh, really what's at stake here if we allow ourselves to just constantly fester in the shame. Yes, yes. Well, guilt festering into shame, it very well could be um, due to an external reason. So for example, Let's say you're an athlete and your dad's uh, cheering on the sidelines and you're, you know, you're playing basketball and like you miss that critical shot or something. And then after that game, your dad tears into you and just lets you know how pathetic you are, how disappointed in you he is. And like you believe it, like you feel it, you feel worthless in that moment. Mm. So what, what happens is like there is something that you did. But then due to the external shaming um, that, by the way, is unjustified, it morphs into a belief about yourself and uh, a feeling about yourself, an intuitive belief about yourself. Um, so sometimes it's an external voice. Sometimes it's an yeah. internal voice. We can be our own worst enemies in this department. We will say horrible things to ourselves that we would never say to anyone else to no other friend who's struggling would we treat them that way but we can rip into ourselves shame ourselves you're pathetic you know you loser just get over it you know you, you know stop being a baby like you're worthless you're pathetic we'll say horrible horrible things to ourselves and the the model of psychotherapy that i use uh, is different in that a lot of people just assume there's the mind or the soul is like this monolithic entity. We can only feel one thing at a time. But the, the model that I embrace is internal family systems. It, it assumes that the mind is actually multiple, kind of like a stained glass window. There's all these different parts that make up a whole. Or a more modern analogy might be like a cell phone that has different apps on it that do different things, right? But like we have an inner critic inside. 
that can see the hurting parts of us, right? Like they can see the parts of us that are sad, that are hurt, that are lonely, that feel rejected, that feel unworthy. And it's it. this part of us thinks the best way to get over that is to shame us into changing. If I just beat you up enough, maybe you'll be better. And this critic can often internalize that voice of our parents, our teachers, our coaches that can be very shaming and critical and harsh and start parroting those things. Like, hey, you're a loser. You snap out of it. Grow up. Stop crying. Stop feeling sorry for all this stuff. And like, of course, does that make things better? <laughs> like, No, it doesn't. It doesn't heal shame in any yeah. way. It actually makes it worse. But the point being is sometimes we can fail in life. We can get a bad grade. We can, you know, lose the, the, the tennis match or what, whatever it is. Like we can miss out on the promotion, which is something you've done, which is like normally a, the, the ground for guilt. And then that inner critic can be so merciless on us, can attack us so harshly that we again, like start internalizing that as a belief about who we are, that I am a loser I am the kind of person that bad things happen to. I am worthless. I am helpless. I am out of control, whatever these things are. So it moves from, yeah, like, so sometimes it's external voices, but a lot of times it's our own internal voice. And I've, I've heard multiple people say, like, as I've kind of brought attention to this, man, I'm like actually really abusive to myself. Like I'm actually in like yeah. an abusive relationship with myself and once they wake up to how hard on themselves they can be and and so yeah, yeah i think that's that's a big way that guilt can morph into shame so good thank you sam devin i'd like you to go back and spend a little bit more time talking about the two types or the two ways that if we fall into shame the two types of men that we can become if we fall in if we just kind of fester in this shame because i know you brought it up really quickly but i'd like to end this public episode here with just a reminder of of this <clears throat> you know basically self-justified, self-absorbed fool and this, or this pusillanimous, pusillanimous man, um, as you brought up, I'd like you to spend a little bit more time about, you know, this, this pendulum and how it was swinging in both directions that you uh, just touched on um, yeah, by way of well, ending. Okay, so I think there's a foundational principle. God wants you to be a manifestation, a revelation of his glory. And you are to do that uniquely in an unrepeatable manner that no one else can. So the devil's plan is imagine a network and you're kind of like the hub of that network. All these lines are going out to all these different other nodes and everything. The devil, he has the gun on you and he wants to take you out. And so how is he going to take you out from being a manifestation of revelation of God's glory, his goodness? Yes, his love, his power, all of that, that's actually going to, excite people, convert people, and, and bring them to a whole new place in their lives so they can actually live life fully. He's got to take you out, so he's going to use shame. This is what he did in the garden. It was the first thing yep. that he did. He appealed to their pride and said, look, you could be more. And then when they failed at being more, they ended up being less, they were ashamed and they hid themselves. So that's So this is the extreme. On one side, you've got the person, so the devil wants to shame us. That's his goal. He's got to get us to shame. Notice that Adam and Eve, they hid themselves because it's unconfessed guilt. 
If mm-hmm. Adam stood up and said immediately, Lord, he sought out the Lord and said, look, I've, I've sinned against you. I've done something wrong. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. It'd been a different ball game, but he didn't. He hid himself because he didn't want to confess it. And that's where the shame comes in because then it becomes a part of him. You know, so I am weak. I am a failure. I am a loser, whatever it is. So here's what we do with shame. We can't live with shame. We just can't. We have to deal with it somehow because it will destroy us. It it just haunts us and it plagues us. So we have two tendencies. The one is to just say, okay, I'm a total loser. I'm a total idiot. I'm worth nothing. God should never create me. And so I go and I hide myself in my video games, Netflix, porn, whatever it is. And I basically check out of injecting myself in society because here's why. There's no good in me. And even that instinct toward the good, I feel like such a hypocrite that I can't even chase after that good or try to be good because I know that I'm a hypocrite. So I'm going to remain in this place of weakness. Faint heartedness is what pusillanimous means. I'm going to be faint hearted, no strength. I'm not going to rise up in courage anymore. I am surrendering. Okay. So I'll just live a life of comfortism and try to get by. Comfortism. So good. Mm -hmm. So then on the other side though, the guy who's feeling shamed, I think, Sam, you brought this up, is that aggression kicks in, that anger. And it's like, man, I've been put down. Man, I'm embarrassed, you know, and this is there. This is who I am. And I got to overcome this. And so I become the bully, verbal bully, physical bully, or I become the guy who's shoving my achievements in everybody's faces to convince them that I'm the man. So and and we do this, though with sin. So, so let's say I'm a Hollywood model and you're a female and I'm wearing next to nothing and I'm glorifying the fact that I'm wearing next to nothing. Shamelessness. I'm placing, Hey, screw the moral norms. You know, I'm tired of being shamed by the moral norms and the ethics. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just going to go for it. And that's our society right now. We see this all over the place. So there's a, there's a middle way, there's a virtuous way, there's a third way between these two polar extremes. And there's degrees with each of these. And I think even yeah. as far as my ex- experiences, there's a toggling, you know, like, oh my gosh, I feel like I can't be around people. I'm such a loser, but now I'm going to overcompensate and really shove myself mm-hmm. in the arena and prove myself. Right. No, I really appreciate that. And I do. I want to um, end this public episode and jump on to the putting on the new man But before we do that, if you are interested in hearing more of this conversation, head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus, where we're actually going to dive into overcoming shame and overcoming and and using guilt for the good. And what are some proactive steps that you can make? We're going to spend the rest of this time dialoguing about that. So head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus if you want to get that extended edition of the episode. And for this week, for putting on the new man, it's going to be simple enough. We are here in Lent and it's time for confession. If you don't go to confession frequently, I encourage you to. But my call to you this time is to go to confession and do that examination of conscience the night before. So again, that you're not preparing for it um, the day of. I think this is so good. And the only reason why I want that is because one of the principal ways of overcoming shame is going to be going to confession 
And I would say that in confession, we can experience the love of God, right? And so um, what I want to finish with is just this understanding that St. John Paul II said, where um, the absorption of shame by love can happen in confessional. He said that in love and responsibility. And so I think that it's it's really good for us to just kind of remember that that shame can be absorbed by love if we allow it to, and then that healing can be brought forth. So please go to confession and do that. So as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint. Thank you.